What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Daily Groomer podcast, where we are interviewing grooming pros, seasoned vets, and bringing down their stories to earth for you guys. Today, I am joined by a very special guest, someone I've been waiting to get on for quite some time now, um, and luckily, he said yes. Uh, So who do we have here today? We have an award-winning, world-renowned pet stylist. With more than 35 years of grooming experience, he's an international speaker and grooming judge and also the creative director of grooming for one of the top brands in the industry. We are are joined by none other than Jonathan David. Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us here today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, cool. Well, what I want to do first, Jonathan, Jonathan, is I want to give your, you the opportunity to intro yourself to people who maybe don't know you. So maybe just start with the basics. Who are you? Where are you at? What do you do right now? You know, just just high level. So I'm a pet groomer in South Florida. I operate a mobile pet grooming business. I have been in this industry for 35 years and I've had salons. I've had mobiles. I've had house call businesses. Um, I'm a speaker, a judge, and an, I, I kind of do a little bit of everything. I write for the industry magazines. I, I do interviews. I do appearances. So I kind of like fill in the space wherever something is needed uh, in the grooming industry, and I can fill that void with my knowledge. Amazing. Amazing. It sounds like you've touched every single piece, which I'm, I'm sure you have some scars and some stories <laughs> from every single spot. Um, so I want to start at the beginning. I mean, obviously, you didn't come out and, you know, touch all of these different elements of grooming right away. How did you get into grooming in the first place? Right. So when I was 16 years old, I worked in a puppy store that sold puppies. And that's how I learned all about puppy mills and that whole, you know, that horrible side of the the pet market. And um, there was a dog groomer who rented space there and she had a little grooming shop. And one of my tasks was to bathe and dry the puppies when they would get messy. So I just had a real knack for it. And I just, you know, one day picked up a pair of her scissors and started trimming around the eyes and trimming around the feet because I thought the puppy looked a mess. So (laughs) I picked it up and she said, wow, you're really good at that. Like you should go to school for this. And I thought, oh, I don't want to be a dog groomer. That's not what I want to do with my life. And uh, I I thought I was going to be a veterinarian and I, you know, I had all these, you know, dreams of grandeur. And um, I, I, kind of watched her and watched her business and watched how she, you know, did her day to day. And I was like, well, maybe I kind of do like that. Maybe I would be interested in doing that until I figure out what I'm going to do. So I went to grooming school uh, right out of high school and I got a job working for that very woman. um, No way. My very first grooming job. And she was a real, um, a real ball buster. I mean, she really (laughs) like, I would be done with the dog and she'd come, and with a comb and she'd comb everything out and there'd be all these hairs sticking out and she'd say, now fix it. And I'd say, well, why did you comb it like that? You know, but so she just really, really rode me. And I just, I in the beginning, I really hated her for it. But you know what? To this day, I give her the most credit because she made me the stickler for perfection that I was that aided me in achieving all of the things that I have. Because if she had not pushed me right. to be such a perfectionist, I would have never gone into competition. I would have never done a lot of the things that opened doors for me later on. So 100%, 100%. Small town in New Jersey in a little grooming shop in the back of a puppy store. There I was 16 years old, bathing and drying puppies. 
And a few years later, I went to grooming school. And after working for her for a few years, I decided New York City was where I wanted to be. I had, you know, my eyes on the city. I was going out. And I thought, well, I know how to groom dogs. At least I have a job I can do. So right. I called the owner of the grooming school I went to and I said, hey, I'm moving to New York City. I want to get a job in New York. Can you help me? And he said, there's only one place you need to go. And he said it was this place called Karen's for People Plus Pets on the Upper East Side. It's not there anymore. But she had she was the first to do a dog boutique. There was that, that uh... dogs and pet carriers and all that stuff that came later. Karen was the originator. And I got a job working for her. And that's when I saw that there was this whole other side to the pet industry. There was there was all these. She had pet carriers made out of ostrich. She had collars and leashes made out of alligator. There was business moguls, Broadway stars. Oh, my gosh. Mariah Carey was a client. All these celebrities who I only saw on TV when I was from small town USA. And here they were right in front of me. And I thought wait a minute, you don't have to be a backroom groomer. If that's, you know, cause I, that's not, that wasn't enough for me. I had, I had aspirations to be su more successful. And Got it. So this, this whole model of pet boutiques, which is, you know, luckily you didn't even know anything about it, right? I mean, you said it was brand new yeah. and you kind of went in, you know, head first and jumped into it. It's just the whole, the whole notion of branding everything a little bit more, you know, boutique. It's more of an experience. It's more, more of a, more elevated. Okay, got it. And and now I feel like it's, you know, it's let's well, not call it a commonplace, but it's at least a common, you know, idea, let's call it, where there are those that exist and people have heard of them now and, and all that sort of stuff. Oh, absolutely. The, I mean, I've been in this 35 years, so I've watched the industry completely transform in my 35 years. And there are people who are no longer alive in this industry that they, they were the people who started some of these these conferences that we go to. They were the founders. And one of the guys, his, his name is Jerry Shinberg. He passed away many years ago, but he was the founder of the All-American Grooming Show, which is in Chicago. And he told me that when he first started in pet grooming, which was, I mean, he passed away a decade ago and he was, you know, probably 80 at that time. So you're talking another 50, 60 years before that. He said they had no dog shampoo. So they used to use carpet cleaner. No way. Yeah, I mean, when you think about that, how horrible that is, I mean, it, it can't I mean, be. That's, but it's that's crazy. Yeah, there were no products, so he had this notion to start a conference in that area. Uh, there were other people, founders in the industry, but they created this whole thing, and with that, the industry grew, and people started to realize it's not just a weird job; it's actually a necessity when you own a dog, and it's a career path. And that's what I always wanted to do. I wanted to make it into a career and not a job. So when 100%. I saw the store and I realized I could do that too, I could make an upscale boutique. So I kind of learned her business. I worked for her, learned her business. And I thought, all right, this is what I'm going to stick to. And can you share some of those things? I know that was a little while ago now, but you know, you got to see almost, let's call it how the sausage is made inside of a, inside of a boutique pet spa, right? Right away. Was there, you know, a few things that noticeably stuck out that were different from a traditional salon that you were, that you kind of ran with when you started your own? Yeah, absolutely. So I had worked in about three small shops around New Jersey before I had moved to the city. And each of them were just a grooming room in another facility. They weren't a standalone grooming salon business on its own where the the entire draw was the grooming and whatever they sold so here it was in manhattan this woman had this 
It was like the actually um, Barbara Walters used to be a customer there every Christmas. No way. And she would buy all her gift baskets for her friends. And she used to, the first time she walked in, she stepped back and looked and she said, this is the FAO Schwartz for dogs. And that's what we used to call ourselves because of Barbara Walters after that. So, I mean, that's really what it was. You walked in, it was just loaded with toys and products and, and just upscale. It was like a salon. I mean, when you went in there, you thought, this is a place I could get my own hair done. And that okay, was... So, so a noticeable like, difference between that versus the other salons was the, the, it was like almost humanized, where like you walked in and it really felt like you could sit down and get your hair done. Absolutely. The, the difference was the professionalism, the elevated feel, the cleanliness. It was a store. The grooming was all done in the back room behind a window, so you could see it, but it was contained to the back with the entranceway when you walked in, rather than walking in to hearing dryers and seeing maybe little hair dust balls roll across the floor and seeing someone who's who's actually grooming part of the day who's going to greet you and they're you know they've got some dog hair all over them whatever the situation this was a different setup there was a, a receptionist and the receptionist was well dressed and they greeted you and then there were salespeople who were well dressed and they would come over and take you around the store and and it was an experience when you shopped there it was an experience rather than just dropping your dog off at a grooming room somewhere and right. when i when i saw that i realized this is something we don't have in New Jersey. We don't have these elevated boutique type things. And when I realized that I could actually make a career, I mean, this woman was extremely successful. She was living in an Upper East Side Manhattan apartment. She had a full-time housekeeper. You know, I mean, she was doing pretty well for herself. So I thought, well, maybe I've just been approaching it all wrong. I want to come at this as I want to bring something to the people to give them an experience. So that was always my goal from that moment forward was learn the business. And so I watched, I was a groomer and slowly I made my way to lead groomer in the salon. There was 12 groomers and we were doing about 50 dogs per day. And it was a, just this, it was just a hustle bustle kind of a thing. But whenever I had the opportunity, I would leave the salon and go sit up front. And I would sit with all the salespeople and talk to them and watch them interact with the customers and watch them operate and ask them how they did the booking and ask them, how do you know when to book a big dog? How do you know, you know, how to spread out the week? All just little innocent questions. But I was following. Hey, for me, this was training for them. I was just being a, a curious employee. Right. So you had the foresight, you know, hey, I want to go start my own thing. I'm working for somebody else right now. So to get me there and to be successful, I should start asking these, you know, curiosity, you know, driven, innocent questions about all of the I don't know. And, and maybe not because I don't know because I'm not smart, but I just don't see that side. I, I know grooming. I don't know the business. I side. hadn't experienced so, it yet. Right, right. Okay. So you eventually got to that point. I love how you went about it asking, you know, you were just a curious, you know, curious guy back there and they had no clue. Eventually you took that leap. Thought, you know, remember that because. That, that must have been the first time you've gone out on your own, um, if I'm not mistaken. So tell me about all the emotions. I'm sure that was pretty scary. I'm sure you were nervous. You were leaving a top salon that you had worked your way all the way up to lead groomer. You know, what really went into that decision? When did you know you were ready and how did you go about and do that? Yeah, uh, so it was a long plan. And um, I don't know that it was necessarily a well put together plan in the beginning. It kind of <laughs> came together as it, as it went along. 
but I think um, I always knew that I was going that I wanted to learn as much as I could in that salon. I knew that I wasn't going to be there forever. Um, in that interim, while I was there, uh, we had somebody who called and their dog had had surgery and they needed the dog groomed at home because they couldn't bring it in. And the owner of the salon asked me if I would do it. So I did. And I went to this woman's house, huge apartment in Manhattan, groomed her dog on the kitchen counter, bathed it in the kitchen sink, a little toy poodle. And the owner of the salon said, you, you can keep 100% of the money because you went and did that. I'm just doing a favor to a client. And a light bulb went off. And I thought, oh, my God, house call service in Manhattan. I'm sure people want that. So I started asking around and found out there was a few groomers who were doing it. It was like a concierge service. So I started telling the owner of the salon, hey, if you ever have a customer who doesn't want to bring the, the dog, I don't mind going in my off hours like I did for that other customer. And she said, oh, great. We get requests for that all the time. I'll just give them your number. Very innocuous. Did not, you know, I just said, hey, I'll help you out. She said, I'll help you out. And Yeah, I, it wasn't like I'm starting a business that, you know, I'm starting a business. Will you help me give customers? It was more like, hey, I'll do this as a favor for you. Just let me know. I don't I don't mind going after hours and doing this. Exactly. And, you know, for me, you know, I was struggling in New York. I was just starting out. So I thought extra money. Great. I don't mind it. But as it started building up a few more clients and a few more clients, and I was keeping 100% of that money and not getting a salary or a commission, I started realizing and doing the math in my head. And then I went from doing it in, in my head to writing it all down on paper. And I started realizing <laughs> if I just built up a handful of house call clients, I would make what I was making in a week of working at the salon. So I continued building house call clients. And then I did, you know, what, what it's not something I would want done to me, but listen, we all do it about a month before I was leaving, probably about two months. I made little cards and as each of my clients came in, when I would bring the dog out to them, I would slip them a card and just mouth the words to them. I'm leaving. And I, some of them called me, well, they all called me. Some of them said, I will go with you. And others said, yeah. you know, I'm going to, I'm loyal to Karen, but I wish you well. And I left with about 15 of my own clients. Holy cow. Amazing. So before you left, you had a full client book, or, or at least, you know, at the time, what seemed like a full client book, where you were confident and comfortable. So it seems like to me, too, another another way that you were able to, let's call it like mitigate the risk, because this was house calls. You didn't have to go buy a building for a salon. You didn't have to go put up a big chunk of money for a mobile van. You were just showing up to people's house. And so really, the real risk was, I quit my job. I don't have a paycheck coming in. But you you had clients, you brought 15 over. And so you had kind of, you know, deleted any sort of risk, let's call it that, that really remained. That's correct. That's correct. So I, I, part of it was a leap of faith because I was very unhappy in the salon situation. I was making money on my own and yet I was going to work all week long for the same amount that I would make in three appointments. You know, right. I was just like, this, this just isn't computing with me. I've got to do something. So when I finally did it, and I went on my own. I was certainly nervous. I mean, living in New York City and you're kind of going out and starting your own business and hoping. I mean, you know, New York City is an expensive place to live. So I, I did it. I, I buckled down. I cut, you know, cut all my expenses. And I said, I'm just going to do this. But to my surprise and to my joy, it, it really it, it all took off really fast. The word of mouth in, in a place like New York City 
is all it took. I never had to do advertising. It was people walking down the street through Central Park and somebody saying, what a beautiful haircut. Where do you get your dog room? And they would say, oh, well, I have this guy who comes to my house, but he's very exclusive. You know, he, he doesn't take everyone. And I kind of, it started to become this thing where people wanted to, you know, it was like, well, a status symbol. They had to have Jonathan come groom their dog because all the ladies would, would be sitting around, you know, having playing cards or doing, you know, whatever their social things were. And they would talk about their dogs. And one of the things that would come up is, where do you have him groomed? And it used to be, oh, I go to Karen's. But then they say, oh, well, I heard Jonathan left. Oh, he did leave, but he uses, uh, he comes to my house now and does my dog. What, you have Jonathan? You know where he is? <laughs> Give me a number. I mean, this is how the scenario would go down. And then I'd get the phone call and then their friend and then their friend. And eventually it just, you know, I, I got people like uh, Ralph Lauren was one of my house call clients, Kevin Klein, the actor. Um, uh, I used to do the Hari, the designer. So it was just a matter of oh people. Oh my gosh. Hurry me and. Ralph Lauren was funny because his assistant called to to schedule the appointment and there was this back and forth and I was thinking in my head because it seemed like a lot there was just a lot of red tape to make a grooming right. appointment and I thought maybe this person is not someone I want this is going to be one of those like pain in the ass clients you know that you just don't right, right. um but I, I I you know I followed through and at the very end I said oh I, I need the last name of the client I said that's the only thing you haven't given me and she said oh it's Lauren and I said, oh, okay. And she goes, as in Ralph Lauren. And I said, oh, okay. 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 So <laughs> now, now I was really nervous because, you know, now I understood why there was all this particularness and all this, all these, right. they wanted to dot their I's and cross their T's because there was all these things about, you know, they wanted pictures of what I could possibly do. And I was just like, oh my God, these people are nuts. But it was amazing. Yeah. I went to their house for many years. I used to groom their their little Yorkshire Terrier in their bathroom, and it had to be at seven o'clock at night because Ralph Lauren liked to be there. Oh my gosh! How amazing is that? Yeah, that is too cool. He always he always had to give his approval. He'd always have me snip one or two more hairs. It was never okay until he had me cut one or two he, more. He wanted to be a little bit a part of it, no matter what. Even if it was done, it was Jonathan. Do you mind trimming up the ears a little yeah, bit more? Yeah. Funny story, because one day I was going to their house and I didn't even realize that I had put on polo sneakers, polo jeans, and I had a puffy polo jacket. So now I walk into their house and I think, oh, my God, they're going to think I'm groveling, you know. <laughs> so Ralph Lauren walks in and he says, polo, polo, I see polo everywhere. And <laughs> I got so nervous. And instead of saying something intelligent like, well, you're a, you know, your designs are, you're, you're a great designer, or I think, you know, you have genius designs or whatever. No, what did I say? Well, you make good clothes. <laughs> <laughs> it just came out and afterwards it was like everything went in slow motion. And I just thought, <laughs> so I just funny. That? <laughs> here we have a very posh, you know, designer meeting an extravagant dog groomer. And all, the only thing that came out was, you make good clothes. <laughs> yeah, it just, it just like word vomit. It just came out and I couldn't take it back. And he said, oh, okay, thanks. And I just thought, oh, God, I just went back to grooming the dog. Like, just let this one pass. <laughs> that is so funny. Well, it seems like it did. It seems like you had a, you know, a great fruitful, fruitful relationship with this little, uh, what'd you say? He had a Yorkie. A Yorkshire um, named Bikini. Yorkshire. Oh my gosh, of course. That's that's just a great name for a little Yorkie. <laughs> um, 
Okay, so you you had this you know extravagant house call business going in that. What what caused you to change things up? I mean, I feel like so many groomers would have killed to be in that position, and you know, obviously you had a hunger for more. Something caused you to change. So I built my business up to a full time schedule. I was working five days a week. I was doing between five and eight dogs a day, depending on the day. And I was charging obviously a premium because I was coming to their house. And then a friend of mine decided to take a long trip who was also a house called groomer. And she asked me to take on her clientele while she was traveling for six months. So for six months, I fit in about half of them. So I was working until about eight o'clock at night and taking some on the weekends, but I was banking all this money. Oh, I bet. If you don't mind me asking, because that was so long ago, what were what was the average groom costing then? I was charging a hundred dollars in the beginning, and I got had gotten up to about a hundred and twenty-five. Okay, so you were doing around a hundred and twenty-five dollars a groom, which is kind of what a base price is now in my area. That was right. like price because the salons in that time were charging fifty-five to sixty dollars. So I, I kind of doubled Crazy. and doubled and a, and a half. That's crazy. And so you're doing eight dogs a day. I mean, you were doing dang near, you know, five to seven K a week um, while you were covering these people. Um, yeah. Some weeks when I was really busy. Yeah. I mean, That's I was, crazy. and I was just stocking, stocking it away because I knew that I was, I, at that time I thought I was going to open a salon in Manhattan. So I was just putting all this money away to open a salon. That was the initial mm-hmm. plan. Then one of my clients called me one day and said, oh, my God. So she worked in television and she was looking um, on a, a, a website for jobs for different television type things. And she came across an advertisement where they were casting for a reality show. And they were looking specifically for male groomers only. And she said, and they were looking for people who were competitive, yada, yada. And at that time, I was competing and I was out there like in the industry, like trying to make a mark. And so I, I, she said, this might as well have your name on it, you know? So I wrote the email and I said, hi, my name is Jonathan David. I'm a competitive dog groomer. I've had these wins. I have these type of clients in New York City. Send off the email. Two hours later, I get a phone call from the production company. And they said, oh my God, you are perfect. We want, we want you to come. We're about to do the casting. We're flying everybody to Las Vegas, uh, to uh, to uh, Los Angeles next week. Can you get on a plane Monday? And I said, uh, yeah, I guess it could. She goes, but if you get chosen, you're going to be gone for six weeks. So can you, can you, in the next three days, wrap up your life for six weeks? Because What'd we're casting and we're only looking for men because we've already casted all the women. And I really want you to, to come and I want our producers to meet you. So I said, I'll do it. I said, book me the flight. I'll take care of it. So all weekend long, I called all my clients, called all my friends who were house called groomers, made arrangements, flew off to LA, got selected for this reality show after, you know, five days of grueling, intense interviews and everything. And I got selected and I made it all the way to be runner up. And I should have won, but in reality TV, the best never wins. It's the one with the right. side story. So right, right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, here I, I I was the successful guy with celebrity clients from New York. Right, and right. Yeah, they can't world. make you win. You're the villain to them. <laughs> I was the villain. I was the Omarosa of the dog world. 
Um, but it was a great opportunity. Um, even though I didn't win the whole show, I went on to do other shows for Animal Planet. I was on Good Morning America, on The View. I did all these different talk shows, and that opened all these doors. Suddenly, I was getting people who saw that, and they were reaching out to me, and they wanted me to do an interview, or they wanted me to do a segment, and all these things started happening. So I I did a couple more shows for Animal Planet. I did something called Dogs 101. I did a series called Cats 101. I did a couple of specials for them, and then it just sort of died down. It just sort of it didn't have any more momentum and, but I still had all this, I was in the news and I was in, uh, in publications. And I thought if I'm ever at that time, I had also started thinking about moving. I kind of wanted to do something a little bit warmer. I was getting tired of the New York city winters and it all sort of came together at one time. I had all notoriety. We had a horrible winter in New York and it was just, that was the catapult. And I was like, you know what? I am not doing another winter. I'm going to move to Florida by next October. And this was like in January. So I saved for the whole year, put my plan in motion. And I just decided I'm going to change my life. If I'm going to start a new grooming career in a new area, at least I have all of this stuff that I can point to and say, Hey, use me, try me out because I'm this way. And right. So, so you walked away from, you know, all the notorious clients in New York walked away from you know i guess didn't walk away from the tv shows it kind of just came to a halt at some point Mm -hmm. but all of that stuff to start basically fresh in south florida all all because you know obviously you wanted to start your own thing but the weather too and and everything like that i mean that must have been a level of fear similar to when you went off on your own the first time just because you were starting now it, it there was a lot of fear involved, but because I had saved so much money with the intention of moving, uh, with the intention of opening a salon, I had this nest egg that I felt very comfortable moving to Florida and relying on for a while because I knew that even if I didn't have anything happen right away, I had a safety net. Right. And so, yeah, I just decided New York is not the path that I thought it was going to be for me. It just... I could have done that and it could have been successful and I could have had a great life, but I felt like there was something else that needed okay. to be. So I always follow my gut. Florida. There's yeah. One I love that. I tell you, I've always followed my gut. It never. Amazing. Okay. So you get to Florida and you have this nest egg. So I would imagine you, you start a salon. Well, so I get to Florida and I think to myself, I'm going to do house call like I did in Manhattan because I don't want any overhead yet. So I took out an ad in a magazine, not a dog magazine, like a lifestyle magazine in Boca. I took out a full page ad with pictures of me and my bio. And I got a lot of calls from it. And so I started doing house calls around the Boca, Boca Raton, Delray Beach area, which is a very affluent area. And it just so happens that the woman that I had used to work, work for in Manhattan, Karen, unbeknownst to me, because we had lost touch, had sold her store and moved to Delray Beach and opened a new salon called Lap of Luxury with Karen. You're kidding. You are kidding. No. So I called her out of respect to tell her I'm in the area and I'm doing house calls. So if you see my advertisement, I don't want you to think that I'm trying to encroach on you, but I'm doing my own thing too. And she couldn't care less about that. She said, you're in Florida. Will you come work for me? 
And I said, no, I don't want to do that. I want to do house call. And she said, oh, come on, one or two days a week. Just give me two days a week. So I said, well, I'll do it for a little while. It's money, right? So I started working for her for two days a week. And after a couple of weeks, she was diagnosed with a spinal issue and had to have surgery and was never going to be able to groom again. And she decided to sell the store. And she said to me, why don't you buy the store for me? And I said, oh, I don't have the money. She built this as extravagant as New York, but even more. And I said, Karen, I don't have the money for this. And she said, I'll make you a deal you can't refuse. And she did. And I couldn't. Amazing. And oh, so my gosh. I, I mean, that is the power, too, of, of, you know, you when you left that original Karen's in New York, you could have gone out guns a-blazing, right? You didn't mm-hmm. like it. Not that you weren't treated well, but, like, you didn't like it, and you were ready to go start your own thing. And for all intensive purposes, they become, you know, quote-unquote, like, competitive, right? Especially you being a competitive guy. But you didn't. And you picked up the phone when you got to Boca Raton, too, and you called her. And this is, this is I feel like, what's so key just about you always be nice, you be kind, and you keep your relationships intact, and then good things happen to you. Yes, absolutely. I'm a firm believer of that. I, I learned that lesson – Years and years and years ago, when I lived in New York, I had a friend who worked for The Gap, and he said to me, you always have to be friendly to your coworkers at The Gap, because the way that they promote is very strange. Someone could be your co- your equal one day, they'd get promoted to be a manager, and they're your boss a couple weeks later, and they can get moved again to another position where they're your equal. He said, so he said, you never know, you don't want to piss people off in that company because you never know when they're going to be your superior. And I I just think that's just life. You never want to burn bridges because you don't know when you're going to need that person again or if they're going to work for a brand you want to work with someday. So I always try to make good business relationships. I don't always like everybody, but I pretend I do. (laughs) (laughs) So she makes you a deal you can't, you can't, you know, you can't walk away from. You do the deal. Now you have a salon. You've never been a salon owner before. You've worked in them. You've owned your own house call business. I mean, what comes along with a first-time salon owner? There's got to be yeah. lots of, you know, lots of stuff that you never thought of. Right. So uh, one of my other friends who also used to work for her uh, in her retail also had relocated down to Fort Lauderdale by chance. And so I called him up and I said, do you want to be my business partner and go in on me with this deal? You run the retail. I'll bring the grooming to where it needs to be because she had a huge space, but they were only doing 10 dogs a day when I took over. When I closed my salon, we were up to between 50 and 60 per day. So oh my gosh. Knew that growing the grooming was going to, it was a huge store, 2000 square feet. So I knew that growing the grooming was going to be a task in itself. So I tapped my friend to grow the retail because that's what his expertise was. So my expertise was grooming, his was retail, we joined forces, and for 12 years, we had this very successful salon, we employed 10 groomers, we were doing 50 to 60 dogs a day, uh, right up until COVID hit. Not another COVID. Um, Tell me, before we even get to COVID, how did you, you know, can you think back to some of the creative things you did to grow this salon oh, yeah. from 10 dogs to 60 oh, dogs sure. a day? Because we, I mean, we were starting out on a budget. The deal she made me, I mean, I'll tell you, <laughs> the deal she made me was you pay me no money up front and you just pay me over time. I mean, I, I gave her Got no it. money up front. I just started right. paying her monthly and that's how I was able to do it because I had a personal relationship with me. She said, I'll, I'll do this for you because I trust you. 
So yeah. I mean, it was easy for me to just kind of swoop in and take over. But now it's like, okay, I have no money, no real capital to work with because I didn't want to use all that I had saved from New York on a on the business. I didn't want to take away my safety net. So I put a little bit of money into it, but really it was all about blood, sweat, and tears. It was, you know, doing everything ourselves. We did a lot of dog events. We did doggy meetups at our store. We did, you know, wine mixers. We did cross promotional events with other stores in the plaza. We'd have uh, an event at our store to benefit a dog rescue. And we'd have the restaurant give us a food platter and we'd have the lick, uh, the, the, another restaurant, they would provide wine and they would do this for free. And in exchange, we would give out their advertisements at the party and promote them. And it was just cross promotion. And that's okay. something to a seminar where it's called building your business on a budget. And I talk about all these things because a lot of people never think to reach out to the, your neighbors, your other stores in your plaza and say, Hey, you know, you're, you're a deli. We're doing an event. Can you give us a deli platter? And in exchange, I'll put a big banner with your name on it. Sure. Yeah. The win-win for everybody. So, you know, we did yeah. stuff at all the local dog events. Whenever there was a dog walk or a dog event at a park or something, we took a booth and we did free nail cutting. And we'd say, hey, yeah, put your dog here. I'll cut, cut the dog's nails. i cut and file for free and give them a card and say, stop by, check out our store. So it was a lot of the grassroots kind of thing, just going out and talking to the people telling them who we were, telling them we were new management at the store. And then as people came in, the one thing that really, what one thing that we really noticed was when we went through the file box, we realized that a huge percentage, probably about 80% of the people in that file box had not been back for a, an entire year. Oh my and, gosh. So they, they came in and they left and they just never rebooked or, or something happened where there was never another appointment that was already scheduled. Yeah. Either they were unhappy with the haircut, they were the pricing, whatever it was, we just realized that 80, like about, it was about 80 to 85% had not been back in a year. So what I did was we came up with an idea where we sent them a postcard that said, um, it was a picture of a Maltese and it just said a free haircut, really, with a question mark. And when you flipped it over on the backside, it said, come in and pay for a bath and we'll upgrade you to a free haircut so you can see what we can do. So we got a lot of people who came in to use that that card to pay for a bath and get upgraded to the free cut. And from those people, a vast majority of them saw the haircut and said, OK, I'll come back. Amazing. So a little bit of margin that you guys give away at first. So, you know, a little bit of the what's called the profit you guys gave away at first that you would have made on someone paying for a full cut versus just a bath secured you essentially reoccurring appointments for a ton of these right. people that never came back. I mean, the way I looked at it was all we were. I mean, we had someone coming in and paying for the bath. So they were paying the employees and they were paying for the product. The only thing I was losing out was my pay for the haircut, but I don't mind doing that once to get somebody to come in. Yeah. Use that tactic for years over and over when a new customer would come in and say, oh, well, I I, beautiful work, how much do you charge? And we'd say, you know, I'm just gonna make throw a number, let's say $80, they'd say, oh, well, I'm paying 60 now. I would say, come in one time, I'll charge you 60. If you don't see a difference, go back to your other groomer. Do you see a difference? You pay my price. Oh and my gosh, say, okay. I love that. So it's like almost like a price match that first appointment. Correct. 
Yeah, just so that they, I wanted them to see the difference. What's the difference between that haircut and what I can do to show them what a little bit of style will do for their dog. I had one lady, this is a true story. I'll never forget her for as long as I live. She had a little Pomeranian poodle mix and she brought her dog in and it was a big ball of hair. Couldn't tell, you know, there was no shape to it. And I gave the dog, the dog was really cute. It, it was, a, like I said, a Pomeranian poodle mix, little apricot colored. It had the coat of a poodle basically. So I gave it a cute little, like, almost Bichon-type haircut. Really cute round face, very stylized, a lot of flair. When she picked the dog up, I, br- I put the dog on the floor, and the dog ran up to her and started running in little circles around her. And the woman just dropped to the floor and started crying. And I thought, oh, my God, she hates it. Like, it's too short or something. But it was actually that she had never seen her dog look so beautiful, and she didn't even know her dog could look that way. Aww. It overwhelmed her with tears. And that woman moved from Florida to North Carolina and continued having me groom the dog when she would come back to Florida to do different things. She'd always bring the dog and get in a haircut. Oh, my gosh. What a story, man. My eyes water a little bit. That's crazy. That's phenomenal. And, I mean, that's the quality of good work. And people talk about all the time, like, you know, hey, I I don't know how to price myself, et cetera. But it's like you price what you're worth. Absolutely. And, And I, you know, something that I tell is, I tell everyone in my seminars, we're not changing the world. Like I'm not, this isn't rocket science. I'm not changing the world, but I am changing people's lives because I'm giving them a feeling of joy that uh, pertaining to their little loved one. You know, I mean, some people love their dogs, I think more than their kids, you know, and a lot of my clients are empty nesters and the dogs are getting treated the way that they never treated the kids you know they did they made all the mistakes with the kids and now they have the dog who they can just spoil rotten and that's what they did so when when you give them a moment with that dog where they it evokes an emotion in them that's how you get the clients for life because you give them a feeling when they pick that dog up that nobody else does i love this because this is right on theme two with your postcards and right on theme two with your pay for a bath, get a free haircut is right on all three of these things are right on the same thing where it's like, if you put in the work and take a little bit of a, a cut on price in that first appointment to show them what you can really do mm-hmm. and to invoke that emotion with them, you will get a client for life. It's just, yes. it, it costs a little bit of time and money on your front part just to get them to have that emotion. Just on the front part. That's it. Right. That's part of building That's a it. business. I love that. Okay. So business is booming, you know, up to 50, 60 dogs a day, COVID hits. COVID hits right now. Remember, I'm in Florida, so we're seasonal, right? Right. So we have what we call snowbirds, which are the people who come down from the north during the winter months. So generally, mid-September, it gets busier. Everything's in full swing by October. And then mid-May, it's dead again for the summer. So generally... February, February, March, April are the four busy months in Florida. And COVID started happening. We started hearing about it in January, hearing more about it in February. February, travel had slowed down. By March, we were in lockdown. So during my peak months for retail, I had no tourism. Zero tourism, no retail. My snowbirds didn't come down. My clientele are primarily seniors, so they were afraid to leave the house. 
So nobody wanted to come out. And then we got locked down. And then finally, when we were able to open before other businesses, because we were considered um, the one of the necessity businesses, because we sold dog food, mm-hmm. they allowed us to reopen for the grooming. And I called all the clients and told them, hey, we're open again. All the clients said, well, that's great for you. I wish you luck, but I'm not coming to that plaza because the city decided to put a COVID testing center in our back parking lot. So you drove in one side of our plaza through the back parking lot, got tested in a drive through and drove out the other side of our plaza. And oh my all these, centers, you know, in the beginning of COVID, nobody knew how it was passed really and how serious it was and how far you actually had to be from other people. So all these seniors were like, no, we're just not even coming to that shopping center. So I had no retail. Then my grooming clients wouldn't come back. And we just realized very quickly, we were not going to make it. And our landlord was not very, you know, uh, helpful and we applied for all the grants and we got a little bit here and there, but we didn't get the big grant and mm-hmm. we had just realized we were going to run out of money. You're in trouble. Right. So what did you do? I mean, I know that's a hard decision at that point in time because you saw how good it was. It wasn't, it wasn't like, you know, you, you had seen this coming for a long time. It's just all of a sudden this hit and then you're like, uh Oh, like we're in trouble. So to cut away that stuff must've been, obviously a really hard decision to make. What, what was kind of going on behind the scenes there in your head that, that it was worth it and okay. Um, we just, my business partner and I sat night after night, crunching numbers and different scenarios and how we can do away with this and do that. And this, it all just came back to, we were going to fall short. It just, there was no way because we needed, we needed that burst of business in January, February, March, and April that covered our summer slow months. That's how busy we were months and we didn't have any of that. So luckily just by chance, cause somehow luck is always on my side in October of 2019, uh, September rather in September of 2019, we ordered a mobile grooming van to expand our business. And so oh I had the so lucky sitting out back. And we had just started building some clients. And when we decided we really were going to close, I went through my list of clients. I selected all the clients I wanted to keep. I moved them to my mobile grooming business. The rest of the clientele, because my client, my groomers who worked for me were great groomers, amazing employees who always had my back. And so. I was not going to cut them out. And I just said, here's the client list, have at it, call your clients, tell them to come to wherever you're going to work. Now, one of them became a house call groomer. Another one went to a salon and took a bunch of clients with her. And in the end, we all just sort of parlayed to a new path. I started mobile grooming. I closed on a Friday on the salon and I opened mobile on Monday with a full. Oh my gosh. Amazing. Okay. So it's, it's, I mean, for all intents and purposes, you didn't skip a beat. I know, I know, obviously the volume went down and, you know, the people you're working with changed and the setting changed, but I mean, you were right back on the road on that Monday. The, vo- the volume went down, but my income went up and I'll tell you why. Because all right, so talk about that. Yeah. The store, while this, my store did $860,000 a year in revenue, but the cost was just under that. 
So with our salaries and everything. So at the end of the year, we weren't necessarily profiting so much. We were just taking a nice salary. Right. Everything was getting paid. It just wasn't a huge at the end of the year profit. Sure. And now compare and contrast that with the van. So with the van, there was no overhead except for the van payment, van parking and insurance. And by standard, mobile grooming is 30 to $40 more per service than salon grooming. So I upped all my prices. I got rid of all the big dogs. I selected only small dogs. And we started doing 12 dogs a day, which is too many for mobile. I, it was me and my assistant. We were doing between 10 and 12 a day. And we were charging 120 to 150 a dog. So, oh my gosh, were you working five one, days a week or were you working every day? What's that? Were you working every day or were you working five days a week? Well, in the beginning, we were working way too much because I made the mistake. I had never done mobile in a van. I've done house call, which is very different. Yeah. Well, in a van, I called my friends and said, how do I schedule? They gave me the, the uh, crash course in mobile. But I assumed because of the price increase that a large number of my clientele would decline. So I had list A and then second choice B. Well, I had sent an email out to everybody saying this is what's happening, assuming a number of people from uh, you know list A would decline, but nobody, know, right? nobody declined. Nobody declined, not one. So Which is I a good problem to have. Two full routes of people. <laughs> so that's why I'd combine them, and that's why we were doing 12 dogs a day, and I was working on a Saturday. And you know, then I, don't forget, I'm still doing trade shows. At this time now, all these years, which I kind of skipped over all these years, I became a brand ambassador for Ken Chi Shears and I'm going to trade shows 10 to 12 shows a year traveling around. So, you know, we're like, uh, how are we going to do this? You know? Um, so we just, we just had in the beginning, we're working weekends. We were working nights. We were doing it all. And then we kind of, I mean, as, well, well, you know, a lot doing... of my been with me for so long because I had the salon for 12 years. I didn't want to leave senior dogs with a new groomer. Mm -hmm. 100%. So I did it until a lot of the older dogs passed. And as dogs passed, I did not replace that appointment. And we wow. got to a certain number that was manageable. And like I said, I've worked for Kenchi Shears since uh, well, now we're going on 13 years as their brand ambassador um like kind of the grooming face of their of their brand and but they've grown exponentially through the years and they just moved to a warehouse that's triple the size of what they had before they're a global brand now and so i now work for them full-time as their creative director of grooming and my assistant oh, amazing grooming got it okay so you you've since moved on from mobile and now you're full-time with kenshi um doing creative directing i would assume that's a lot of marketing stuff and about you know where you guys are heading and that sort of stuff. So I'm heading up education. So we're gonna we're okay. gonna go heavy into education. We're gonna offer a lot of webinars, workshops. Um, uh, we're creating an educational platform, and so it's my job to curate that and also um, sort of be the liaison between that and the grooming industry. Of course, of course, that's amazing. Wow, but that, I is, that is incredible. I still own the mobile grooming business. It's just oh. my. Are running that got it okay so you are still an owner in it um but you are not you know behind the table 
cutting and you know cutting and strutting back most there days no i do ride along with him sometimes because i film content i film stuff okay. that he's doing and to create yeah. tutorials and uh i do have a few clients that i still do um like show their their show dogs and things that you know he he can't do he just can't do them and i this woman won't let anybody else do her 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 cocker <laughs> they're just their show dogs so right no, that's amazing. Wow, man, you you have taken us on some adventures through some of those stories here. What's next for you? I know right now you're full-time, can't she doing brand ambassador, working on their education stuff. Um, what's kind of this next stride that you're eyeing? So with Kenshi, we have some more products coming out under my personal line, because my line with Kenshi is Lightning by Jonathan David, and those are my scissors. I have educational DVDs. We have um, a wet line coming out with uh, under my name, um, so we have some shampoos and conditioners coming and then I have, I'm working on a prototype for a brush that doesn't exist yet, but it's a pretty cool brush and I think it's going to be a big hit with groomers. So, um, I'm on in the process of creating this, this tool and, you know, getting all the patents and everything on that. So before I tell anything about it, um, but yeah, it'll, it'll, it'll be good. I have some ideas for, there's a book that I want to write um, that I think would be a real success that I think would be popular, not just to groomers, but to pet owners in general, not just yeah. uh, uh, focused. So I've been dabbling a little bit with that because I write for Groomer to Groomer magazine. I write two monthly columns That's for right. that reviews with the icons. Uh, where I interview different people in the industry. And the other one is called But Why by Jonathan David, where I just sort of answer questions about skin, coat, whatever, anything grooming related. And I really love writing. So I've kind of started writing on my own. So I don't know what's next. I guess I guess I want to I want to have lots of lots of more stuff with my name on it. And I like teaching. I really love teaching. Um, one of the best things this may sound a little bit corny but i'm going to tell you this because it is truly rewarding people you always hear people say the most rewarding thing is seeing people succeed you know what i mean that kind of stuff but i have to tell you right. i have watched so many groomers go from brand new competitors who have never you know competed it's their first time to making the u.s groom team and there was a girl recently who she's a, a super fan and she's real sweet and she competed under me at a show earlier in this year and when i went to judge her everyone told me she was so nervous because you know she's such a fan i went to go comb through her dog and it was just all matted just all matted and this was a competition and i just said i'm sorry i can't comb your dog i you know i i, I can't evaluate your dog i have to disqualify you so i had to disqualify her and she cried and she was mainly out of embarrassment but right, she right. was determined to prove to me that she can groom. So she started taking lessons with the top people and she came out with a vengeance and two shows in a row, I gave her first place. And at this last show, she not only got first place, she got best in her class. And they brought her down to the front where they line up the, the three winners to see who's gonna get the group placement. And she was just crying and crying and crying. Oh my gosh. I ran over and I hugged her and I said, and I started oh. my friend who's a judge from the UK. He said, Oh, stop crying, you big baby. And <laughs> we're all sitting there and everyone's like, it's just this whole moment. But it really was that emotional for me because I right. knew 
I know what it felt like to be her. I was there. Yeah. No yeah. Oh, amazing. Yeah, you saw her go from the matted dog to, you know, a winner now. Take the critiques that I gave her, change the trim, then come back with a trim that could win. That actually is, believe it or not, that is more rewarding to me than all the awards and trophies I've won. It truly is. That's amazing. That's amazing. I mean, you really are a good, you're a good educator too, Jonathan. Like the way that you, the way that you're able to articulate some of the experiences that you have into lessons now in hindsight, I think is super valuable. And it's really valuable for the industry too, to have someone like you that is so passionate about educating because it does, you know, even behind the scenes, like you were this girl you witnessed, but there's probably 10, 10 more of those girls oh, sure. um, that, that you've never met before that you've inspired to go from nothing to, you know, to something, right? Sure, sure. I, I Listen, I've had, I've had little kids. I, I've had people come up to me at the booth who said they were little kids when they saw me on Groomer Has It. And it was because of that, that they wanted to become a dog groomer. And here they were, oh my gosh. years later, as an adult, I met a girl, she was there with her mother. She had just turned like 18 or 19, and she decided this is what she wanted to do. She had watched Groomer Has It. And they came to their first grooming show to check it all out. And then here I was. So she got to meet me. And she tells me that she went into this whole industry because of watching me on TV. I mean, that was like, yeah. I was like, trajectory of somebody's life. I'm so sorry. 100%, you fully changed it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, anyways, yeah, Jonathan. It, it truly is like, you just don't think. You never think going into dog grooming. All these things I've done, it's because I've wanted to, I wanted to teach. I wanted to sell scissors. I wanted to judge. I never did it thinking I'm going to go there and I'm going to change somebody's life. Right. Never, it was never a thought in my head, but to have met people who have said, you know, I'm better because of you. I did this because of you, or I took your advice and it worked. And now I'm successful because of you. I go home with that. And it 100%. really does sit in, in me and. And I think about it. And it's amazing because that that feedback right now, Jonathan, is changing your life. It's what you just told me you want your next step to be educating and writing yeah. a book and that sort of stuff because of how rewarding it is. So it's really cool to see it go full circle where now those people are changing your life and changing the trajectory of where you had with your grooming skills. Um, I am so, so blessed to have you here, Jonathan. I'm really grateful for the time you gave us today. Uh, we'd love to have you back on and maybe dive a little bit deeper into all of these, all of the knowledge that you have in these particular things. Again, we just touched the surface with how, with how much you've done. Um, but I'm so grateful once again. Thank you so much, Jonathan. I want to give you an opportunity, shout out um, where people can find you, socials, that sort of stuff. All right. You can find me on Facebook at Jonathan David or Instagram, Jonathan, Jonathan and Jonathan David on TikTok. Amazing. Well, that's the pod. All right. I don't have a pod, but maybe someday. Maybe someday. <laughs> <laughs>